Of good fortune. 
known then when I was a young man in high school. You believe it or not, I want to play football for the coach. And all those older guys, they said that he was mean and cruel, but you know, I want to play football for the coach. Said I was a little too lightweight to play linebacker, so that I'm playing right in. Wanna play for the coach? Cause you know someday, man, you gotta stand up straight unless you're gonna fall. Then you're gonna die. And the straightest dude I ever knew was standing right by me all the time. So I had a place for both the coach. Oh, but 
remember that the city is a funny place. Something like a circus or a zoo. And just remember, different people have peculiar tastes. And love, real love, the glory of a Welcome to the Weekly Review. It's Friday, October 7th, 2016. This is Roman. We're here at Mutiny Radio. Uh, wishing you a very happy Friday. Um, trigger warning. We'll be talking about the news today, as we do uh, every week here uh, on the Weekly Review. So I wanted to put that out there. It's going over stories that have been in the news and not so much in the news. And uh, yeah, wanting to talk about things that mainstream media might not pick up or they might have a biased view on and recognizing that we all have our own implicit bias yes yes and also uh recognizing that this is not a big operation here this is me an individual um with uh getting information from folks i trust uh from activists and community organizers and folks um whose main uh the idea is just to get information out there and not to try to scare people, but really just to say, oh, this is what's happening in the world and report on it. Because I feel like that's not really happening. That doesn't happen when things are reported. There's uh, the idea is to keep people afraid. And not that this, I mean, react however one wants to react, certainly. But um, the idea is that having the information out there so then we can choose to do with it what we what we will because a big problem, I think, is misinformation, and then people act accordingly. And so that's the opener. Ugh. I'm getting I'm getting with it. I haven't had any caffeine yet today. We'll see if that changes throughout the day. It was just a choice I made. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Started off with two songs. The first was a cover of a Lou Reed song by Joseph Arthur called Men of Good Fortune. 
And of course, given the current political climate, and I guess the political climate that's been around for a long time, it's easy to see how that parallels just what folks who are entitled and how they mess up the world. But it's prettier than that statement alone. I think it's a beautiful song and a really great cover. It's a really nice cover. And then after that was Coney Island Baby, one of my favorite songs by Lou Reed. And fun fact, so Lou was with this woman named Rachel for a while, who was a woman of trans experience. And at the end when he's like, this song goes out to Lou and Rachel, that's the person he was talking about. And they were a couple and that was great. And I wish there was more information about her. Apparently he didn't, I don't know. People are going to be people, but I feel like it's, I would love to know more about Rachel. And in some of his Lou's, like the biographies of Lou, they mention her more than others. And uh, they were together for quite a while and she was his muse. And that's that beautiful song came out of that relationship. So I thought it's a nice way of paying tribute. We'll be playing some more music along the way. And I'll just get into the stories. I probably have some ranting to do, but might as well just start because there's a lot of things to go over. And there's natural disasters that are happening. Maybe they're unnatural given climate change and how unnatural climate change actually is when you think about how it could have been avoided. But we can't go back in time unless someone has a time machine that they're hiding or that they have somewhere, which would be nice. If someone has one, please let us know. But then again, you know, we go back, we change something, then then we're not here right now or something ch- I don't know. Um, so there will be a few stories about the environment. I guess all the stories are actually about the environment and about Earth and nature. And the first one is the hurricane, Hurricane Matthew. And uh, there have already been hundreds of people who've who've been killed. And I know a lot of folks, uh, the idea is, oh, how, what, what can I do to help? And so, or where can I contribute? So I'm going to go over right now some organizations that are Haitian led because I feel, I feel like when I start talking about one thing, then it leads to something else, which leads to something else and just seeing how everything is connected and how problematic the world is problematic. Maybe one of my favorite words because it describes so much, but just seeing that when people want to help, sometimes they do. And then it ends up not going to the right places or it's, which is really a problem. So here are a few organizations that are Haitian led and um, people are saying also do not donate to the red cross N-O-T, do not donate to the Red Cross. Here are some other organizations that are Haitian-led that you can donate to. This was a commentary via Ronaldo Jones, so thank you, Ronaldo, for sharing this information. Haitian-led organizations you can contribute to directly to relief efforts. And the first one is, I am going to uh, make the font bigger so I can read it better. Uh, Conbit, and that's K-O-N-B-I-T. And the next word is Mizik, M-I-Z-I-K. And you can also check these out on our uh, webpage, which is facebook.com slash weeklyrev. And I posted all of these, so you can also go back and check in and see all of these. All right. Uh, also, um, Haiti Communitaire, and that's uh, Haiti, and then C-O-M-M-U-N-I-T-E-R-E. The next one is A-C-F-F-C. There's also Sakala Haiti, S-A-K-A-L-A, Haiti. Next one is Soil, S-O-I-L. Next is Foundation Akin, and that's A-Q-U-I-N, Sol- Solidarité. Next is Voluntariat pour le Development de Haiti. Next is the LAMB Fund, and that's L-A-M-B-I Fund. Next is Madre, M-A-D-R-E. Next is Sawasid, S-O-W-A-S-E-E-D. 
Next is Convit, K-O-N-B-I-T, Soleil Lev, and that's S-O-L-E-Y-L-E-V-E. Next is Sakala, S-A-K-A-L-A, non-Haitian orgs. Okay, okay, and that's the, those are the Haitian orgs, okay. And then they have the non-Haitian orgs with proven track records in Haiti, Doctors Without Borders, Roots of Development, Partners in Health, Border of Lights, Nova Hope for Haiti, uh, and lists... Uh, lists via French Francois via a group of elders who put it together. Okay, so this is, all right, so that's, okay. Haitians have explicitly asked that we not contribute to the Red Cross. So don't donate to the Red Cross. There. Again, if you need to uh, take a look at these, they're on the Facebook. Just go facebook.com slash weeklyrev. I think it's maybe the top story or second to the top story. And all of these groups I just mentioned, organizations I just mentioned are listed, so you can, you can take a look at each of them, see which one fits your needs. Donate to all of them if you can. Why not? If you're able to, please do. And also share this information because I know a lot of people want to help and the people who are able to help want to make sure that the money actually goes to help people. So do that. Share the word. Um, donate if you're able to. And don't donate to the Red Cross. <laughs> there we go. That's a public service. That's one of the many. There'll be a lot of public service announcements. I think this whole show is a public service announcement. Huh. <sighs> So also wanting to send out love to everyone. I mean, it's catastrophic. <sighs> there are times when I do the show and I'm just, I don't feel like what's the point, but there is this idea that there is so much turmoil in the world. There's like the natural disasters and then there's the human disasters and then there's the wars and then there's the prisons and there's so much of, so much violence and so much destruction and, it's, I think it, obviously it goes beyond, oh, the life isn't fair because yeah, that's also true. And also there are things that we have control over. And as humans, we've kind of let us, we've, I mean, this is a society that we live in and can't go back and change anything in the past, but perhaps we can work to make the future. So this doesn't continue to happen and support folks who are currently suffering at the moment. So, yeah, oh, it's it's a lot. It is a lot. So again, sending out much love to. It's ugh. It really does feel like climbing uh climbing uphill a lot of the time. So, one thing I like to do on this show, I like to do a lot of things on this show. If you haven't noticed, and that's to find stories of people rising up against oppression and oppressive regimes. Um, because the people have the power, Patti Smith had a great song, people have the power. And here's something that's positive. And this come, came from Wednesday, and this is on Jezebel. Poland backs down on total abortion ban after massive protest. Fuck yeah, something good. And awesome for all the women and all their allies in Poland for standing up against this. And maybe that could happen here, too. Because as we all know, it was pointed out uh, a while ago that Back when, before gay marriage was illegal in all 50 states, um, they did a chart, and apparently, even like years ago, it, and certainly now, now that it is legal, like it's, it was easier for people to get gay married than to get an abortion, like overall, doing the whole map of the country. It's still, people would have to drive either out of state or drive really, really far to get basic health care needs met, which is ridiculous and makes me want to, whew, I'll breathe so I don't get so angry. But I should be angry about it, and everyone should be fucking angry about it, that people don't have control over their own bodies, and that it 
and then I hate bringing the year into it. Plus, plus also the Christian calendars. I mean, it's all bullshit. However, we've been a quote unquote civilization, and I'm using quotes very loosely because we're not. It doesn't feel very civilized. For how long? And the fact that people don't have basic, you know, control over their own bodies and can't get the healthcare they need. Like there's like the the, inc- the fact that people can't pay for it, and then also that it's not accessible, that it's banned. It's fucking assholes, like don't believe that people have control over their own bodies. That's it's it's enraging. So here's something positive. Here's people standing up and doing something about it. This article was written by Amy Lutkin, and this came out on Wednesday. So if you want to read the whole article, it's on our Facebook page, as well as Jezebel. Poland backs down on total abortion ban after massive protest. Okay. Polish women are already in a difficult position if they're seeking an abortion. Abortions are outlawed, with with exceptions made for cases of incest, rape, badly damaged fetuses, and situations where the mother's life is at risk. Women are forced to travel to neighboring countries or attempt to buy the pills online. The situation is so difficult that Dutch abortion rights activists built drones to deliver pills to the country by air. Despite the extreme situation there, the right-wing government proposed a ban on even those few exceptions. It didn't go over well. Thousands of protesters flooded the streets in Warsaw on Monday. Women and men dressed in black boycotted work and classes to let the conservative Law and Justice Party. Okay, fuck you if you're a party in co- Law and Justice? Go fuck yourselves. Okay. Okay. So this Law and quote unquote Justice Party uh, um, know that they are not going to take it. It looks like they've been heard because on Wednesday, Senate Speaker Stanislaw Karaszewski said. Uh, has said that the upper house of parliament would not initiate work on the bill that would make the abortion ban law. Uh, CTV News reports that the decision was largely influenced by the protesters with the Minister of Science and Higher Education, Jaroslaw Gowin, even saying that the protesters have caused us to think and taught us humility. A debate has been scheduled in Parliament for Wednesday as well, in which they will continue to discuss the issue. Okay, why are they even in Parliament in the first place if they can't... Okay, all right. Kierzewski says he's waiting to see what the lower House of Parliament's approach to the bill will be, but he does not wish to back down on a ban against aborting children with Down syndrome, saying they are wonderful children, much loved by their parents, very loving parents bringing a lot of warmth and a lot of love into a home i'm a great opponent of killing such children whoa does not wish to back down on a ban against he does not wish to back down oh oh okay uh to even uh this was going to be a positive news story i also wonder how much having caffeine would make this all more bearable for me to read. I did say that there was a trigger warning, so there's that. The point is, the good news is that folks have spoken up and the power it shows the power of the protest, which is really important, and I would love to see more of that here in the States. <sighs> so we're going to take a music break. Maybe I'll run and get something to stimulate my head. It's not going to make the news any worse or any better. But perhaps reading it with reading it, I'll be a little bit more rejuvenated. So I'm gonna play a couple songs, and the first one I have to give a shout out to Leo for recommending. This is uh, a new song by Solange 
um, called Don't Touch My Hair. And then after that, there's going to be an instrumental song with some words towards the end. And um, we'll get that going in a little bit. I'm getting everything here settled. So, listeners, hope you're doing good. Wherever you are, you're having a good day. Your day is uh, maybe a bit better than you thought it would be because sometimes it's it's weird how that happens. I've had some really bad days. I'll just talk for a little bit while I, I figure out the music situation. I've had some really bad days where I've woken up feeling really terrible and they've turned out to be really great days by the evening by just a certain set of circumstances. And I think that's really important to remember just also in life that uh, sometimes things that are feel really bad and awful can turn out a little bit better. And it's not to invalidate the negativity that's happening or the problems that are that exist and are very real. Uh, just also to recognize that it, things that sometimes really painful things don't last forever. And I think that's that's really, really important to to remember. Um, and there was a great quote that uh, I read. It was like on a, on a post about Jill Stein. Hello. Thank you. And um, it was from Nelson Mandela. And it was, uh, let your choices uh, reflect hope and not fear. And I think that's so important. And I totally see myself in that. And it's hard not to, especially... Growing up in a culture of fear, where we're taught to be afraid of each other, we're taught to be afraid of ourselves, we're taught that we're, I mean, we're just, there's so much brainwashing and so much propaganda um, that, you know, we are, like, taught that we're not okay, that we're not good enough, that there's something wrong with our bodies, that's a big thing, and to, um... To be able to to kind of get past that, I think, is really challenging for I me and for most people. There is so much that we're we're told that we're not okay, and that yeah, that we need to change, and it's really hard. And I was talking a lot last week. I'll just start talking now. Why not? Now it's, it'll probably come out uh, just about being trans and how that is in the world and the world that's so. Even in big cities, there's still, like, this idea of the binary. And, like, I get a, a day doesn't go by. It's not like I forget about it one day. Like, every day, every morning I wake up. And no matter what I do, I can try to avoid certain media. Uh, but if one goes outside, almost it's, like, almost inevitable. It is inevitable that one has to kind of exist in a world that wants a lot of people not to exist and there are the microaggressions and then there's the macroaggressions and there's a lot of symbols and there's a lot of behavior and the words and the language. And I recognize I'm, I'm part of that myself. And it's how do we change a culture that's it's so ingrained? We have to create something new. And that's why I'm grateful when at least language is created to uh, new words and new use, like even using gender neutral pronouns, like something like that to acknowledge the existence of something other. That's it doesn't take away from anything it adds another alternative and it can feel I think very liberating for me it feels very liberating as well um and as it I can only speak for myself um it just it's it feels yeah it's very tricky to to navigate the world when people have certain expectations about you based on your body and that of course goes beyond gender it goes you know through race through size through ability like so much 
And I mean, I'm a spiritual person. I identify as a, oh, I'm a spirit in a body. And I ideally would like, you know, I feel, oh, we're all spirit, you know, we're all spirits in these bodies. And then we've been conditioned to treat each other differently based on this physical appearance. And a lot of, whether it's like mainstream media or other institutions or even just through word of mouth, we're programmed to make these assumptions based on these, these packages. That's something that's like connected to us, but it's also, it's also this, this external, an external shell of how we travel through the world. And it's like this packaging and to live in a country that's so big on advertising and like how things look as opposed to how things are. Um, it's no wonder that we're kind of in a, in this, in this crisis where we like spirits aren't even allowed to live and about to like go about their day just walking walking around walking free like that's not even that's not even something that is able to happen just yet and it's just people attacking one another and not creating space for one another and people not feeling safe and people not feeling welcome or that they can't exist in this world and that's really sad Oh, so when I, when I started talking about this, I wasn't sure where it was going to go. And I usually am not quite sure where it's going to go. And perhaps I was using the, oh, I need coffee as a, as a defense because sure, it does help me maybe articulate more of what I'm saying or maybe feel more upbeat. But at the end of the day, it still is just a substance that uh, doesn't necessarily take away anything. And I also recognize that doing a news program that uh, it gets depressing. I've had a number of people say while listening, you know, some folks really dig it and I really appreciate it. Plus, I'm always open to feedback. And I've also heard people say, oh, the show is really depressing. I can't listen to the whole thing. And I get that. And I also just want to provide something. So I recognize, you know, the happier I am, or at least the more, the well-equipped, more, the better equipped I am to deliver it, maybe the easier it will be to digest and to hear. And I also don't want to like, and that sounds selfish. There's a whole other thing too with like self-care and how to manage self-care in a world that tells you not to take care of yourself. If anything, it argues against it. And I shouldn't say world because I know that's not true for everywhere. I feel like it's maybe in our in our nation that's a big thing. Uh, we know this, people are people work too much and are almost f- forced to work too much, and healthcare is <laughs> not. Uh, accessible and, and available for everyone and how is it like the basic needs to even survive are not available or accessible or one has to like know certain ways to access that or access them and I feel like it just should be a given like it just should be oh basic needs covered and then we can take care of everything else and if you can't get your basic needs covered then everything else just goes to shit so what can we do to make it so that's a thing so then it's okay so there's that recognition okay yeah this is how things are and this is a problem and then there's also this idea that um wanting to take care of it like wanting to fix it so other people don't have to go through it but then uh getting tired and the exhaustion of being so aware of the problems that are in place and wanting to fix them both you know in an individual level like how how am i in my interpersonal relationships 
And then on a structural level, like how am I interacting with organizations or with groups or like what resources am I using? How, like, what is my role in these things? How can I best be of service? And how, if I'm part of the problem, can I acknowledge that and then look to change my behavior? And then at the same time, and then also be there for people because we can all be there for each other. And then at the end of the day, also be there for myself. So it's capitalism does not make it easy. That's the moral of the story. That's the moral of a lot of stories. It's uh, it, capitalism literally has been killing people for years and years and years. And uh, it needs to end. And it's, I mean, it can't sustain itself and it's crumbling. And I think people realize that and that's really great. Uh, it's just what happens in its place. I think that's really important. And people are just suffering and, and desperate right now. And it feels weird to say that because I feel like this is a truth, like as far as folks. And again, I'm only, can only speak for myself and from experience that I've had talking with people, like it feels like this is a, there's just so much pain and so much that could be avoided if things were different. And again, that goes to the complaining and not so much to the solution. So then, okay, we find alternates to calling the police, for instance. We find alternates to uh, building prisons. We grow our own food. We help out people that we can. There's there's a lot to be learned from it. But I think it also just feels really easy to to be overwhelmed. And part of me gets angry when uh, there's like, oh, there's not a quick solution. And I feel like a lot of people who have been fighting for for solutions, putting their bodies on the line and have given their lives throughout time, uh, I want to pay tribute and respect them so we could get to where we are today, for instance. So in, in this, I'm not saying that I'm not grateful. I am acknowledging that it feels a lot of the time like an uphill battle and recognizing that everyone's kind of we're all I mean we're all connected and I think the sooner some people realize that the better off we'll be and perhaps that's part of the problem it's because we all make mistakes I make mistakes um, it's the recognizing that um, behaviors where folks on a grander scale feel like they they're not connected to other people or they're what they're doing or what they're buying doesn't impact other others like everything is connected everything and it seems like it's uh we're all in an abusive relationship with ourselves in a way man that got depressing real fast it's twelve you're listening to mutiny radio how about i play some music that will uh cheer you up if you're not already super down that could be that could be good um so yeah as i mentioned i'll be playing a few songs here um i am gonna get some caffeine and i think that might uh lift up my spirits a little bit still live in a capitalist society so you know that's that's where we are but uh in the meantime uh here's some good music and i'll be back in a moment When it's the feelings I wear Don't touch my soul When it's the rhythm I know Don't touch my 
They see the vision I've found. Don't touch what's there. When it's the feelings I wear, they don't understand what it means to me. But we chose to go where we meant to go. They don't understand what it means to me. Where we chose to go. This is Roman. It's the weekly review. 
That was Solange with Don't Touch My Hair. And we've got some more stories for you. There's an insect flying around in the studio. That's great news. I've got some caffeine. I'm pepping myself up a little bit. It helps. Uh, so the next story comes from Telesaur, Iraqi group to sue U.S. for 2003 invasion. <sighs> Ideally, we would live in a world where there'd be no wars. Uh, and people just, I mean, I was going through some old belongings that I had. And I found, I kept a lot of newspaper articles. And there was one with a full-page ad in, from 2003 that was in the New York Times. Full-page ad that was like, don't bomb Iraq. <laughs> like, let, it was like, these organizations, they don't bomb. It was just like, a, the fact that, it, it's like, ah, I just get so angry. It's so, it's, you know, it, it goes, the idea that we live in a culture that's so violent and militarized and I don't really even have the words for it, I guess. I mean, just the, so many deaths and so much destruction. And then people, many, many people, like in the marches in New York, were like, they're like people, we were, we were in the streets. We were just like a sea of people, like a sea of people saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And the, the fucking nerve of the people in power be like, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna bomb, and you know, because we need the money, or we need the oil, we need X Y Z, we need the power, we've got we have to make revenge, we have to, the it's like sick and it's psychotic, it's sociopathic, it's gross, oh. and I think I again I can only speak for myself. Growing up in this general, like I grew up in the 1980s, there was a lot of brainwashing, which I became aware of when I grew up, because at the time one is still focusing on the world, and okay, so. Okay, apparently there was a lot of homophobic propaganda. There was a lot of anti-Russian, anti-you know communist propaganda. Got that, and there was also anti-female prop like there was just all that propaganda. There was racist propaganda. So there's there's that happening, which when one gets older, and if we find information or we get into conversations with other other folks, we recognize, oh, this is what the government was doing. This is what the media was doing. There are all these this misinformation to try to manipulate us to get in line and to participate in these systems of oppression. Got that. When one gets older, then it's I feel like as a kid in the eighties, what was I gonna do? Like I didn't even know it was happening. But then being in my twenties and the horrible, horrible eight years that and I'm not again, like I feel like the and I'm not letting Democrats off the hook. Uh, I am, though, saying when W was president, there was just even more atrocities. Maybe that's a better way of looking at it. Um, to recognize that there's blood on my hands, like, absolutely. I'm like, oh, yeah, I wrote letters and I signed petitions and I went to marches. But what did I personally do? And granted, you know, as a younger person, I still knew it was wrong. And I feel like there's that sense of a huge sense of guilt. And, yeah, guilt doesn't do anything. Um, unless it, you know, prompts us to act to stop things that are happening now or prevent other people from being fucking elected who like to bomb people, which is, seems to be a lot of, I can't vote for anyone who's like into the military anyway, or wants to like, who's, who sees the military as like the main form of how to communicate with people. That's not my, that doesn't help. Whew. So that'll get us to another story. <sighs> I'm smiling now at least. 
so I always I'm curious as to like if folks could see if there's a video camera here like on when they have Howard Stern. Not that I consider myself to be like Howard Stern because I don't really ask people about their sex lives, at least on, on, not on the radio. But I was curious like how I would look. Uh, I, I and I because I do get distraught about the news, and I do have to say uh, shout out to caffeine because I feel a lot better and it's a lot easier for me to get through this. And it feels good to talk about it too because there's a lot that we hold in. I can always be there's a lot that I hold in. And when I talk about it, I feel a lot better. When I'm able to articulate it, I, f- I feel better. So there's a lot, there's a huge sense of shame of like growing up and recognizing there's this unjust war that was happening in our name, still unjust wars in our name, and not feeling like unless I've done everything I can to stop it, then I I do feel like a lot of uh sadness and like anger at myself and like recognize I need to do more. And then going back to what I was talking about before with the self care, like how do I take care of myself and make sure I stay alive as well as prevent these horrible systems from continuing on and oppressing more people. And I think if it's, I mean, I guess I get that it's designed that way. It's, it's so that we're all so busy trying to survive and stay above water that there's less, we have less energy, less time, less resources to then prevent the folks in power from continuing on to control. Um, and just also witnessing how many people do put their lives on the line and have put their bodies on the line and uh, feeling, you know, I definitely feel like I'm not doing enough. That's something I totally struggle with all the time, every day, that oh, I'm not even even discussions on Facebook, which can is like might seem minute. And I recognize the more information we share and the more conversations, constructive conversations we have that can make, that definitely makes change. And that's important. Even in situations like that, I feel like I don't hop on the conversation too much. Or I don't, I don't say exactly what I want to say, or I'm so angry about certain things that I just, I'm like, ah, I kind of yell without actually saying, well, actually, which sounds like mansplaining, <laughs> but I, I, I just, I get so perturbed and so triggered by so much that my first reaction is to, if I don't shut down entirely, is to just vent and to get so angry about it. And uh, recognizing that the anger doesn't quite, uh, that doesn't, unless I put the anger to use or in art, which is a saving, saving grace for me, uh, it's not, things aren't going to change. So going back to the 2000s, uh, I feel like our generation has a lot of, and not that people haven't done, because I know a lot of people who are fucking badass and do a lot of great things. So I definitely, I also want to give a shout out to Imani Henry um, out in New York. And Imani's done so much great work with anti-gentrification in New York. And there's a organization, uh, Before It's Gone, Take It Back. And just, it's, uh, and I, there are so many people out there doing such, and I'm just, <sighs> I'm inspired and I also want to pay tribute to the folks who are really doing the work and speaking out and putting their, their bodies on the line. So, um, I'm constantly inspired by, by people like that. Um, my point is that, what was my point? Yeah, there's a, there's, I feel like I got blood on my hands. I don't know how you feel, but I definitely feel like, uh, living in this country, I got blood on my hands for sure. And I've never, uh, literally murdered anyone. Uh, <laughs> I don't even eat animals. Uh, uh, but I do feel a sense of, of shame living in a country that is so militarized. And, you know, I speak out against it. 
I tried to see now I'm just justifying my behavior. So I don't know how good that is. I'm going to read the story. Okay. After U.S. Congress struck down sovereign immunity and allowed citizens to sue Saudi Arabia, Iraqis say they deserve to do the same against the U.S. In the wake of the recently approved U.S. 9-11 bill, an Iraqi group is lobbying the country's parliament to sue the United States over the 2003 invasion that ousted late President Saddam Hussein, killed and displaced millions of people, and unleashed a major sectarian conflict in Iraq and the region over the past 16 years. The Arab Project in Iraq said it was calling on the Iraqi parliament to approve a bill for forming an independent body made up of lawyers and legal experts that would seek compensation from the U.S. over civilian deaths and damage to property excuse me, property during and after the invasion. The group said that as part of a 2008 agreement between Washington and Baghdad, individuals, families, and government bodies were barred from suing U.S. and British forces operating in the country in Iraqi courts and that they could only do so in U.S. courts. From its end, the Arab Project in Iraq announces setting up a website for receiving applications for compensations from citizens and will form a team of international lawyers to take these cases to U.S. courts. The group said in a statement signed by its Secretary General, Kamis Kanjar, according to IraqNewspaper.net. The Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act was vetoed by President Barack Obama last week before the U.S. Congress overrode his veto and approved it in a dramatic showdown between lawmakers and the White House. The bill was proposed after several families of victims of the September 11th attacks wanted to sue Saudi Arabia over alleged sponsorship of those who carried out the attacks. The majority of the attackers were Saudi nationals. However, Obama warned that the law would see other countries attempting to do the same to the U.S. as the bill eroded the sovereign impunity the U.S. granted foreign countries against being sued for acts of terrorism. Sovereign immunity, a doctrine practiced by most nations in the world, shields foreign countries from being answerable in another country's courts. Legal experts say nations like Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Somalia that have been affected by U.S. activities such as drones could now decide to hold Washington responsible for deaths and destruction caused by such policies. Countries receiving military aid such as Israel and Palestine could also sue. I'm sure some countries would be interested in saying our military aid to Israel is aiding and abetting things that they would allege are sometimes war crimes against the Palestinians, Philip Bobbitt, a law professor at Columbia University, told ABC News last week. We normally benefit sing uh, significantly by being able to say we have immunity from those kinds of claims around the world. Most recent estimates say more than 200,000 Iraqis have been killed since 2003 as a direct result of the U.S. invasion, although some calculate the figure to be as high as a million people. More than 70% of those were civilians. Meanwhile, more than 3 million people remain either internally displaced or have fled the country as refugees. <sighs> and that is why I'm not a big fan of uh, taking military action. Oh, man. Oh. So I'm going to take a deep breath for that. And I... Uh, yeah. I feel like that's just important to to mention. The year is 5777, so wishing Happy New Year to all the folks out there. And here's another. This is along the same lines of a news story. And again, you know, credibility. That's, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to read it. 
am I gone already? It's not even 1 p.m. and I'm already feeling it. But I'm going to continue through till 2 p.m. Coming up after this show is Women's Magazine with Global Val, followed by the Common Thread Collective with Global Val and Diamond Dave. A great show. There's like live performers, there's poetry, there's music, there's conversation, there's interviews, a lot of great stuff. Awesome people roll through, so keep on listening. It's definitely much more of an upbeat show than this, and that's okay, and that's good. And I don't mean to uh, talk negatively. I do feel like it is important to talk about what's happening in the world, and if there is more people talking about what's happening in the world, that might foster more of a solution. So... I mean, the the idea, from what I've heard from a lot of folks who are activists, the idea is to, you know, to put yourself out of business. The idea is to create, do the work and create the world so that the things that you're fighting against no longer exist. And uh, anything, you know, that we can do to, to make that happen, I think is great. I would love, I joke when I was doing comedy, it took me a while to kind of go back and forth with it, but that I'd love to go up, go up on stage and just fart and just tell like hack jokes, not hack jokes, but like just tell like dumb jokes. And I love dumb jokes. I mean, I love, I like slapstick. Don't get me wrong. Uh, there's, it's, I appreciate it. And I also recognize that uh, part of me I can't quite do that um, if there's something else happening that I want to talk about or I feel needs attention or needs to be talked about. And that's just where I'm at. And uh, so, yeah, if, if we're here, if I'm here, I should at least be doing what I can to bring attention to it. So let's talk more about wars and why I'm not a fan. This comes from U.S. Uncut and is written by Zach Cartwright on October 2nd. Pentagon caught paying PR firm $540 million to make fake terrorist videos. And uh, that silence was deliberate. (laughs) Yeah. A new investigation reveals that the Pentagon paid over half a billion dollars in taxpayer dollars to a British PR firm to fabricate terrorist propaganda. According to the Bureau of Investigative Journalism, TBIJ, an award-winning British nonprofit news agency, General David Petraeus signed off on the creation of the propaganda videos between 2006 and 2008, when he was serving as commander of U.S. armed forces in Iraq. The videos were made to resemble footage of terrorist insurgents appearing in Arabic-speaking news outlets in order to track down the people who watched them. TBIJ interviewed Martin Wells of the controversial firm Bell Pottinger, who gave an in-depth explanation of how the propaganda videos were made and distributed. Wells, a former freelance video editor, took a job with Bell Pottinger in May of 2006 and was told very little about his assignment until he was told on a Friday afternoon that he would be flying out to Baghdad the following Monday. Wells described his work environment as extremely secretive. It was a very secure building, Wells told TBIJ, describing signs outside saying, Do not come in. It's a classified area. If you're not cleared, you can't come in. And they have a photo uh, that says that. Uh, Wells told TBIJ that the content he made for his employer fell into three genres, television commercials portraying Al-Qaeda in a negative light, and fake news segments intended to look like they were created by Arabic TV. Bell Pottinger would film low-definition video of terrorist attacks, which would then be edited to look like a news package with voiceover in Arabic. The finished product would then be sent to TV stations throughout the Middle East. The third genre of content Wells was hired to produce was the most classified. He would oversee the production of fabricated propaganda films made to look like they came from Al-Qaeda. 
Wells told TBIJ he was given very specific instructions from U.S. military officials about how the videos would be made. We need to make the style of video, and we've got to use Al-Qaeda's footage, Wells recalled to TBIJ, relaying the instructions he was given. We need it to be 10 minutes long, and it needs to be in this file format, and we need, it to, we need to encode it in this manner. While U.S. Marines were on patrol in Iraq, they would periodically place DVD copies of the fake terrorist films Wells made inside of houses they raided to suggest the home was part of an Al-Qaeda terror cell. Each copy planted at the scene of a raid had a Google Analytics code embedded within, which showed the Pentagon a list of places the DVD had been played. If they're raiding a house and they're going to make a mess of it looking for stuff anyway, then drop an odd CD there, Wells told TBIJ. The Pentagon confirmed its relationship with Bell Pottinger to TBIJ, classifying their work under the Information of Operations Task Force. An official with the United States Department of Defense, DOD, also told TBIJ that Bell Pottinger's work was used by the Joint Psychological Operations Task Force. TBIJ identified approximately $540 million in contracts ranging from May 2007 to December 2011 between the DOD and Bell Pottinger for information operations and psychological operations, amounting to roughly $120 million per year. However, the Pentagon official, whose name was not divulged by TBIJ, would not elaborate further on the scope of the work Bell Pottinger was contracted to produce. We do not discuss intelligence gathering methods for operations past and present, the official said. <sighs> so, if you'd like to read this article, you can check it out on our Facebook page, as well as U.S. Uncut. So, it all ties together. War is a fucking racket, and it sucks, and people die, and... Yeah, and that is extremely disheartening. And it's oh, so, so upsetting. So, moving along, we got more news stories for you. Don't don't worry. There's there's plenty of death and destruction in the world. And uh, living in a living in a in a nation that sponsors a lot of it. Uh it's what are we going to do about it is the question. What am I going to do about it? That's another question. Speaking of the powers that be, and you know, I'm not necessarily a conspiracy theorist, but I am aware of powers that be and control and all these things that are designed to keep people afraid of one another. Uh, Yahoo let the NSA read your email before you even opened it. And this came out on October 6th. And this is from Fight for the Future, which is an awesome organization uh, dealing with tech, like, Freedom in tech. That's ugh, I'm sure they. Ugh, that's a terrible way of describing what they do. But they're good stuff. They do good stuff. Called Fight for the Future. Check them out. And that's what I do like is that there are folks on in many areas who are doing a lot of good work to protect our rights. And so of course there's tech rights. Tech rights. That sounds so stupid. Oh, I can't believe I said that. Ew. Ew. Gross. Oh, I take it back. I can't take it back. It's the radio. It's recorded. It's now and forever um, until the world ends. No. Um, uh, they with privacy they deal with privacy i'll put it that way so yeah they're reading our emails and part of us kind of knew that already and here's some more proof yahoo let the nsa read your email before you even opened it and this came out on october 6th yahoo just revealed to be the very first u.s internet company to build a program at the request of u.s intelligence services to search every single incoming message of every single user in real time let me say that again every single incoming message every user this is an absolutely unprecedented privacy violation. Surveillance experts and former government officials are saying 
they have never seen such a broad demand for real-time digital surveillance, never mind one that calls for the creation of a new computer program. This program, essentially a wiretap on the web, is beyond the scope of any of the already overreaching surveillance laws currently on the books. The order issued to Yahoo appears to be unprecedented and unconstitutional. The government appears to have compelled Yahoo to conduct precisely the type of general suspicionless search that the Fourth Amendment was intended to prohibit, said ACLU staff attorney Patrick Toomey. Communication grant giants Microsoft, Twitter, Google, Facebook, and Apple have all rushed to put out statements assuring users that they have not received or complied with similar directives, some going as far as to say that if they had, they would challenge it in court. Apple pointed to a recent statement by CEO Tim Cook, which reads, I want to be absolutely clear that we have never worked with any government agency from any country to create a backdoor in any of our products or services. We have also never allowed access to our servers, and we never will. Meanwhile, Yahoo issued a statement that does not outright deny the program existed, nor address the myriad of privacy and security concerns that have been raised. <coughs> hmm. Even former Yahoo Chief Information Security Officer Alex Stamos is appalled by the program. When he found out about it in 2015, he immediately resigned his position, telling coworkers that he had been excluded from the decision to implement the program. He also cited flaws that seriously endangered the security of user data and left the program vulnerable to hackers. Yahoo is a sinking ship, and they have an image of a ship that's sinking with the Yahoo logo on it. This is not the first security problem Yahoo has struggled with. Just last month, it was revealed that over 500 million and possibly many, many millions more Yahoo user accounts were com compromised by state-sponsored actors. This hack ha was almost certainly a result of Yahoo consistently refusing to invest in the necessary and standard security practices adopted by their competitors after a massive hack six years ago, to which Yahoo also fell victim. And their security is not going to get any better. Yahoo was recently sold to Verizon for $4.8 billion. I didn't know that. Holy. Mergers aren't, aren't, aren't good for the most part. Uh, telecom companies, including Verizon, have, well, not, especially not these big ones, telecom companies, including Verizon, have been colluding with the NSA for years to gather information on billions of people worldwide. Uh, I'm sure you and I are one of them, uh, many of them. As Edward Snowden's 2013 revelations have shown, Beyond handling, handing your data to a prying NSA, Verizon also notoriously created an innovative way to track your online habits on both your phone and on your non-Verizon devices like personal laptops. They then sell your information to marketers. The Verizon-Yahoo merger is going to compound the security issues these two companies have created, resulting in a service where your communication becomes nothing more than a piece of data to be rifled through by the government and sold to the highest bidder. You deserve to have the safety and privacy you expect. It's time to dump Yahoo. And then they have a link, how to delete your Yahoo account. Um, so yeah, if you check out that, go to Fight for the Future, and they have how to, how to close your Yahoo account. Oh, wow. Oof. Okay, I think it's time for a music break. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get resettled here. There's a mostly instrumental track. Uh, Lindstrom and Todd Turge called Lanzarote. And then we're back with some more news.
to Lanzarote. And welcome back to the weekly review. Uh, yeah. Um, coming up, I'm going to play a clip. I was going to play it right after that song, but it's one of those days, you know, you have some days when uh, we're a bit more prepared than others. And, you know, got up in time, get everything ready. And then, you know, sometimes the show flows more than others. And that's totally cool because life is like that. We can prepare a lot and still have things not go as we planned. And then there are days we kind of just show up without much plan and it can be really smooth. That's uh, that's a message. Hearing some airplanes overhead from uh, Fleet Week, you can probably imagine how I feel. I'll leave that to your imagination. You can uh, imagine that rant in your head of how I feel about that and uh, the animals and folks with PTSD and how we all feel with that noise and that waste of money. You See, I just, I gave it away. I, I apologize. Uh, I'm actually in, in decent spirits, so that's a good thing. This is an awesome uh, piece. Uh, it's from a film by Adana Danziger, and this is uh, by uh, Mickey Blanco, and the piece is called I Want a Dyke for President. Uh, I'm happy to share this with everyone. And... Uh, I want a dyke for president. I want a person with AIDS for president. And I want a fag for a vice president. And I want someone with no health insurance. And I want someone who grew up in a place where the earth is so saturated with toxic waste that they didn't have a choice about getting leukemia. I want a president that had an abortion at 16. And I want a candidate who isn't the lesser of two evils. And I want a president who lost their last lever to AIDS, who still sees that in their eyes every time they lay down to rest, who held their lever in their arms and knew they were dying. I want a president who stood in line at the clinic, at the DMV, at the welfare office, who's been unemployed and played off and sexually harassed and gay bashed and deported. I want someone who has spent the night in the tombs and had a cross burned on their lawn and survived rape. I want someone who has been in love and been hurt, who respects sex, who has made mistakes and learned from them. I want a black woman for president. I want someone with bad teeth, someone who's eaten hospital food, someone who cross-dresses and has done drugs and been in therapy. I want someone who's committed civil disobedience. And I want to know why we started learning somewhere down the line that a president is always a clown. Always a, a John, never a hooker. Always a boss, never a worker. Always a thief, never caught. Um, that's probably one of the greatest things I think I've ever listened to. And you all can find that. Uh, it's uh, Mickey Blanco, and that's M-Y-K-K-I-B-L-A-N-C-O. Um, check that out on YouTube. Uh, so good. So good and so right on, and really appreciating that. Uh, so got some more stories for you. Got some positive, negative, blah 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 um, Here's one. Denver permanently approves Indigenous Peoples Day on Columbus Day. And this came out on October 6th. Um, and I'll read... Uh, uh, a little brief snippet here and then get on to some more stories and I don't know if folks at home or wherever you're listening uh, maybe you're walking down the street the fucking airplanes are really loud you can hear me here in the studio come on Ugh, I don't I don't broadcast this 
radio up in their airplanes. Anyway, Denver, the city of Denver will no longer celebrate Columbus Day on the second Monday of October after the city council voted to change the holiday to Indigenous Peoples Day. The move in a 12-0 vote Monday night is meant to recognize the rich history of Native Americans and the role they played in Denver development. Last year, the council passed a one-time proclamation to recognize Indigenous Peoples Day. Boulder made a move in August to make it permanent, and Denver joined at least 14 other cities in the country who have followed suit. Protesters have disrupted the Columbus Day Parade in the past in Denver. They believe the holiday wrongly celebrates the enslavement of Native Americans and their removal from the land they called home. Some of that land was among was along the Cherry Creek and the South Platte River, where the people of the Arapaho and Cheyenne tribes lived. The council's proclamation says the systemic destruction of indigenous peoples resulted in poverty and disparities in education, health, and socioeconomic status of Native Americans. Denver joins other cities such as Seattle, Minneapolis, Albuquerque, and Portland, Oregon on the list now marking Indigenous Peoples Day. Would love to see some more of that out here in California, too. That would be great. And some other good stuff happening. People speaking up. This comes from the SF Bay Times. It's the LGBTQ news and calendar for the Bay Area. Oakland City Council votes to support Standing Rock Sioux Tribe's opposition to the Dakota Access Pipeline. And I'll read this. I recently gathered with community activists in front of Oakland City Hall to express our solidarity (coughs) with the Standing Rock uh, Sioux Tribe, the environment, and all First Nation peoples, and spoke up in defense of the water and the Native people's rights in opposition to the Dakota Access Pipeline. The pipeline threatens the safety of area drinking water as the sovereignty of native lands. I introduced a resolution to the Oakland City Council for us to officially go on record opposing the pipeline. Following this rally, I am proud to announce that Oakland City Council unanimously passed the resolution to support uh, in support of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe's opposition to the DAPL. The resolution, which I co-authored along with council members Kalb and Guillen, expresses the City of Oakland's support of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe's opposition to the DAPL and details why our support is so necessary. The proposed DAPL will carry as much as 570,000 barrels of fracked crude oil per day for more than 1,100 miles from the Bacon oil fields of North Dakota to Illinois. And we have a phone call. I wonder if it's Gail. Let's see. Hello, you're on the air. Oh, good. You know, this is your favorite person, Gail. Hi, Gail. I'm still trying to make the score. Make the score? What score? The entertainment money score. Oh, that one. Yes. How's that going? Every time I look at these people making all that money, and I say, why not me? Mm. I'm just as ridiculous. I'm willing to play the fool, Mm. the buffoon, the nut. I'm still looking for the right person to connect up with that we can exploit each other and make some money. Wow, that sounds very American. <laughs> the great American dream. Yeah, exploit each other and make some money. I don't mind being exploited as long as I'm getting something for it. Wow. I How about you? Do you like to be exploited? Fuck no, I don't. But it's very Good. difficult not to be. I keep forgetting. What is this? The comedy show today? No, it's a really depressing news show. We talk about wars and uh, <clears throat> greed and the military and governments surveying on people. It's been kind of depressing so far, but there of have been some good stories. 
Are you guys going to get out there and actually try to change the country? Mm, probably just complain about it. No, you I mean, should, we, we do talk about... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut yeah. you off. You should start a new club. A club? A club. A club that we're going to change the country. We're going to sign up all these people, and we're going to vote the person we want in the White House and all our stuff. You know? Get millions and millions of people to sign up. What gets me is... I watch these TV commercials, and they want to put a solar tax, a grocery tax on. Mm -hmm. But it turns out they're not going to put all the money where they're going. It's going to go into the general fund so the politicians can do whatever they want with it, mm -hmm. which is a bunch of baloney. Yeah. They're going to tax groceries or solders, make you pay more, like a penny an ounce, and they're not going to even put that money into an earmarked fund for this. Mm -hmm. They're going to put it into the general fund so the politicians can do whatever they want with it. Yeah. What a bunch of baloney. Yeah, that was similar to there was a proposition. And there's some kind of a billing error back in these uh, these news uh, items, you know, these advertisements. And so there must be a reason why they want to get this done because they must have figured a way of funding that money into their hot little pockets. Yeah. Because yeah. cause you don't think that's so much, but, but a penny an ounce for soda, it all adds up when you think of all the sodas and everything. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. That's going to add up to big money. And where is it going to go? Yeah. It's going to go where so much of the money goes, not where it's supposed to go. It really makes me so mad yeah. that they're going to run this. And, and then it, and the commercials, have you seen the commercials they put on? Uh, no, I don't They have play a TV. into your heart. They show these little kids carrying backpacks full of bricks around because the soldiers are so evil. They're going to put 10 pounds a year on. They get mm -hmm. over there. These poor little children are going to be um, disease-ridden, have to carry 10 pounds more a year, and, and they're stacking bricks in the, into the backpacks. So you're going to have sympathy for the children. Some lying, rotting bastards. Mm. They're getting all that sympathy going so they can get the money and do what they want with it. Crooked mm. bastards. I mean, they're kind of misinformed humans. <laughs> yeah. They're dirty, ready bastards, okay? I, and people are going to fall for it. It'd be one thing to get the money and actually do what you say you're going to do with it. Yeah. But then they climb it off and do what you want with it. And what are they going to do? They're probably going to have big meetings to talk about and all those expense accounts where they go to a fancy lunch with champagne and lobster and mm -hmm. steak. And they're going to talk about how they're going to rip the few hours of food stamps away from the poor people mm -hmm. while they're sitting there gobbling up the taxpayers' money on luxurious dinners and lunches. Mm. You see, I love our politicians. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what they do with the money. Don't, because I still go back to the old one I heard about. His government office took a road trip to Disney, mm -hmm. and then what was other place? Hmm, in Las Vegas, and they took the road trip to talk about how to economize. They spent like a million or a half million dollars going on these road trips to talk about how to economize. Stay in your goddamn offices and economize. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway. I'm still looking for someone to exploit me to the fillet so I can get some jack money. Hmm. Bye now. I got to go. Okay. Thank you for calling in, Gail.
always nice to have callers. You're also welcome to call in. Our phone number is 415-550-0511. You can come visit us. We're on the corner of 21st and Florida in the Mission District. Mutiny Radio, lesson live online, mutinyradio.fm. We're also on iTunes now, which is great. So you can listen to us uh, in more places than one. Uh, yes. But yeah, come on in. We've got great shows here every day of the week. Come support your local radio station. So before the call, we were talking about how the city of Oakland decided to support the water protectors out in North Dakota. So yeah, that's awesome. And more people speaking up about it, the better. That's great. I mean, I'm going to be moving along to another, another, article, another article, and then I'll take another music break. And then I've got some other, kind of like some new trans news happening. And there's one positive story and a few that are, uh, um, but I also just feel recognizing wanting to put out that energy, like got to um, speak up for those who aren't here right now because I want to honor them. And really look out for each other, and that goes for absolutely everyone. And it's hard. I get it. It's hard. Um, And we can do better. This comes from The Intercept. A prison strike organizer suffers retaliation for speaking with journalists. So we mentioned last week that there – it's been a long week. Um, So in September, there's been a nationwide prison strike. In 24 states, there have been prisons uh, where folks have gone on strike in Alabama – uh, in one of the prisons, the guards went on strike with the prisoners. That's pretty awesome. And hopefully that will spread. And it's the, the 13th Amendment, which uh, it's it's pretty much there's like it makes it allows for slavery in, in prisons. And uh, folks are saying that this just needs to end. And so folks are on strike. And I'm going to read an article from The Intercept about how when folks speak up about it, then they're they're uh, retaliated against and and punished. So want to give, uh, oh, bring attention to that. And that's the thing. I mean, I get, I've been, I get sad and angry, and uh, and there are the the powers. It's not just like oh, people aren't trying hard enough. It's that there are the powers that be do everything they can to maintain their power and their control. I think that's really important. And I say this. And making a cameo is another fucking airplane, another jet. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like can't even have a. F- it's it's uh, it's ubiquitous. I'll use that word. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's existing everywhere at the same time. It's like everywhere. You know, it's uh, uh, it's not that people aren't trying hard enough, and people aren't doing a lot of amazing fucking work because people are. It's that the forces, the powers that, and it's like not even. I, I don't. We're not even like outnumbered is that the few that have the power end up hiring people to protect them, whether it's cops or law enforcement or whomever. And then it's, it's, so I do feel like overall to be optimistic, the majority of the world wants to live in a peaceful, we want to live in a peaceful place. And there's a lot of folks out there or a small number, I should say, who don't want that to happen. They want to maintain their control and they hire people to fight for them. And silence people. That's the thing, too, silencing people. I feel grateful to be able to have this show. Uh, I recognize I don't have Howard Stern's listenership. Uh, um, and then also recognizing maybe without sponsors and without having a, being on a big uh, on a big network uh, at least allows me the freedom to speak my truth, uh, to not be censored, and to to just kind of usher in information that I feel should be shared. So I feel very grateful for that. 
and I'm going to read the story. A prison strike organizer suffers retaliation for speaking with journalists. And this was written by Alice Sperry, and this came out on October 6th, and you can find this on The Intercept. A prisoner at Ohio State Penitentiary says he is facing disciplinary action for participating in an NPR interview about the nationwide prison strike that started on, November, on September 9th. Nearly a month after inmates embarked on the largest prison strike in the country's history, the media and the public continue to know little about where and how the action played out, and even less about officials' retaliation against striking prisoners. As The Intercept has reported, that's no coincidence. Prison officials regularly go to great lengths to control the information leaving their institutions, and this strike has proven no exception, despite gradually developing media interest in the protest. Undeterred by challenges, prison activists have succeeded in releasing sporadic updates on the strike as it spread across the country, and some of them have even used a combination of contraband cell phones and their regularly allotted phone time to speak with media organizations. But those calls come at a cost. In an incident suggesting how just how difficult and risky it can be for prisoners to communicate with the outside, and with journalists in particular, Sadiq Hassan, a prison activist sentenced to death for his role in a 1993 prison uprising, said he was written up by a prison investigator for his participation in a September 28th episode of the NPR show On Point with Tom Ashbrook. Hassan is expected to go before the prison's Rules Infraction Board this week, charged with unauthorized use of telephone or violation of mail and visiting rules. He plans to plead guilty to the accusation because he contests its legitimacy, he told The Intercept. The prison's warden and Michael Wiley, the prison investigator who first approached Hassan about the interview, did not respond to a request for comment. But Laura Gardner, the warden's assistant, wrote in an email to The Intercept that per DRC's media policy, telephone media interviews are not permitted, nor are media interview with level 5 inmates. Hassan told The Intercept that Wiley warned him against presenting himself as an organizer and a member of the Free Ohio Movement, a peaceful prisoners' rights organization he helped found. Hassan also said Wiley told him that he was not allowed to speak on radio programs or do interviews with the media, even though that restriction was previously limited to media conducting on-camera interviews on-site or reporters bringing in recording equipment during visits. The Department of Corrections did not respond to a request for comment. Since I am not a coward or a... Oh, I can't, I can't, okay. Oh, I can't read, I'm sorry, I can't read this. Um, that takes, um, since I'm not a coward or a passive, uh, I'm going to censor myself, uh, that takes unconstitutional orders from my oppressive captors, I have no intention of passively submitting to such threat, Hassan wrote in a message to The Intercept sent through a monitored prison communication service. I expect to be put in isolation sometime soon, found guilty by their kangaroo court, and then given more phone restrictions in order to excommunicate me from the media and the outside world. If so, come what may and let the wind blow wherever, for I will never capitulate to their unconstitutional demand and this new form of harassment. A pattern of retaliation. It's hardly the first time Hassan has faced retaliation for his communications from with the outside. But while he is regular, but while he regularly speaks to supporters, reporters, and even conferences and college campuses about anything from his faith to prison resistance and the movement for Black Lives, he has faced increased scrutiny in the weeks leading up to and following the September 9th prison strike. Last August, an in, in, imam who leads religious services at the prison, with whom Hassan has had ideological, uh, theological disagreements in the past, accused him of making threats against the institution. Incidentally, he alleged that those comments dated to several days earlier, on July 22nd, the same day this reporter visited Hassan in prison. 
In the investigation that followed, Hassan was accused of plotting to blow up buildings on September 9th, the day of the planned prison strike, and sent to solitary confinement for over a month. But his battle for media access dates further back to a 2013 lawsuit filed by the ACLU of Ohio on behalf of a handful of journalists, Hassan and four other prisoners accusing the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction of violating the prisoner's constitutionality protected right to media access. That lawsuit itself, which remains pending, came in response to media interest in Hassan and the other prisoners on the occasion of the 20th anniversary of the Lucasville riot, which they were accused of leading. Nine prisoners and one guard were killed during the 11-day uprising. Hassan and the others, cited in the ACLU lawsuit known as the Lucasville Five, had spent much of their prior two decades in solitary confinement and were denied the face-to-face interviews normally granted to other death row inmates. In 2011, Hassan and two other prisoners also went on a 13-day hunger strike, protesting the fact that they were placed on the most restrictive level of isolation for 19 years. Hassan remains on level 5A, an additional designation created by the penitentiary's former warden in response to that protest. 5A is the most restrictive level of isolation, but after intense public pressure, it was eased up to allow for more to allow for more for some <laughs> for some visits and limited congregate recreational time. Congregate recreational time. The Lucasville Five and their supporters have always claimed that they are innocent of the crimes for which they have been condemned to death, and that the censorship around them was a deliberate attempt to stonewall any public scrutiny of the 1993 uprising and the state's alleged misconduct during the events themselves and in the trials that followed. It's not hard to see that their actions have little to do with security and everything to do with silencing an uncomfortable conversation about the Lucasville uprising. The ACLU of Ohio wrote in a statement about the lawsuit, These prisoners are complicated characters, and the Lucasville Uprising is a complex story. Hiding these complexities behind a wall of censorship will not make them go away. But while the general public has largely forgotten about the Lucasville Uprising, these days Hassan is mostly interested in amplifying the struggle of fellow prisoners, and he talks frequently about prison conditions, as well as the connections between life inside and whatever news he's able to get about the social justice and movement he knows is growing outside. (coughs) The nearly 50 prisoners that joined the September 9th strike at the Ohio State Penitentiary did so primarily to protest insufficient and foul food and to demand slots in the plexiglass windows that separate them from family during non-contact visits so that they may hold hands, Hassan said. This week and over the weekend, before facing review for unauthorized use of his phone time, Hassan spoke to the Intercept and monitored phone calls and messages, expecting communication access to be cut again soon. Needless to say, I will fight back, he said. Despite the latest development to keep me off the airwaves, I am doing well and remain unbowed, unbroken. Wow. That is very inspiring. If you'd like to read the whole article, um, you can check it out at The Intercept, and the title is uh, A Prison Strike Organizer Suffers Retaliation for Speaking with Journalists. And again, that came out on October 6th and was written by Alice Sperry. So we're going to take a bit of a break, and then we'll be back with some more news. And then coming up at 2 p.m. is... Women's Magazine with Global Val. So please stay tuned.
Where the long range weapon or suicide bomb a wicked mind is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether you're Soloway's son or BBC One, this information is a weapon of mass destruction. You could a Caucasian or a poor Asian. Racism is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether inflation or globalization, fear is a weapon of mass destruction. My dad came into my room holding his hat. I knew he was leaving. He sat on my bed, told me some facts, son. I have a duty calling on me. You and your sister be brave, my little soldier. And don't forget all I told you. You're the mister of the house now, remember this. And when you wake up in the morning, give your mama a kiss. Then I had to say goodbye. In the morning, woke mama with the kiss on each eyelid. Even though I'm only a kid, certain things can't be hit. Mama grabbed me, held me like I was made to go, but left her in the store was untold. I said, Mama, it'll be alright when Daddy comes home tonight. Whether long-range weapon or suicide bomb, a wicked mind is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether you're Soloway's son or BBC One, this information is a weapon of mass destruction. You could have Caucasian or a poor Asian. Racism is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether inflation or globalization, fear is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether Halliburton and run or anyone greed is a weapon of mass destruction. We need to find Courage, overcome inaction is a weapon of mass destruction. Inaction is a weapon of mass destruction. Inaction is a weapon of mass destruction. My story stops here. Let's be clear, this scenario is happening everywhere. And you ain't going to Nirvana or Farvana. You coming right back here to live out your karma with even more drama than previously. Seriously. Just how many centuries have we been waiting for someone else to make us free? And we refuse to see that people overseas suffer just like we. Bad leadership and egos unfettered and free. Who feed on the people they supposed to lead. I don't need good people to pray and wait for the Lord to make it all straight. There's only now I do it right. Cause I don't want your daddy leaving home tonight. Whether long-range weapon or suicide bomb, a wicked mind is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether you're Soloway's son or BBC One, this information is a weapon of mass destruction. You could have Caucasian or a poor Asian. Racism is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether inflation or globalization, fear is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether Halliburton and run or anyone greed is a weapon of mass destruction. We need to find Courage, overcome inaction is a weapon of mass destruction. Inaction is a weapon of mass destruction. Inaction is a weapon of mass destruction. and our base and our families. Most of us come from East and West Charlotte. 
So those are the highest need neighborhoods in Charlotte with pockets within larger communities of color. So when you think about what people face in life and the schools people go to and how people see policing in their neighborhoods, a lot of our needs are very similar to, to other communities of color. Okay, so you ask, is this comfortable? And then, is it snug? Is it comfortable? Yeah. So, um, you're gonna ask your partner, is it comfortable? Because this is... I'm in the streets because I'm, I'm tired of seeing unarmed black men and people of color getting shot and killed by the police when they ain't do nothing. And the police aren't being held accountable for their actions. Anybody else who shot somebody and killed somebody would be held accountable. You know, they'll be in jail with charges. But somehow police are immune to that. many ways that Asian Americans can help in this movement. Just the mere fact that we don't look black while we're out there in the streets, I feel like we could do a lot for people who are organizing and being on the front lines. So that's why I think SIAC and the name SIAC is important. We have to use that to really get more people to come onto this side and understand that it isn't scary. This is a real issues that affected real Southeast Asians in North Carolina and the culture of being afraid to stand up, we can't just sit still. You know, we have a stake in this too. One family! One family! One family! One family! One family! Thank you all. Come on, come on. All right, and that was a video from AJ Plus, uh, Asian Allies Stand with Black Lives Matter. And this is the next article is going to be trigger warning again. I did one at the beginning of the show, but I feel like I should do one again. Uh, the last part of the show, we'll be talking about some trans issues and uh, the murder rate is growing and it's horrible. Uh, I don't have any commentary at the moment that's going to just have to talk about it, I guess. So this is from the Chicago Tribune. Uh, mourners hold vigil for transgender women found slain on the west side. And this is a video. Uh, uh, let's see if we can get that um, up and running here. And this uh, was from October 6th and was uh, written by Angie Leventis uh, Lordos. So um, this is loading momentarily and hopefully we'll have some audio footage. Uh, a gathering was held outside the Wellington Avenue United Church of Christ to remember T.T. Uh, Sephore, a black transgender woman who was fatally stabbed on September 11th, 2016. And I'm just going to read the article. I'm not sure if the video is going to load or not. So we're just going to go ahead with this. Uh, about 100 people gathered in Lakeview on Wednesday evening to remember a transgender woman found slain last month and honor her life as well as the lives of other black trans people lost to violence. Some of the 100 or so protesters shouted at police when their procession reached Belmont Avenue and Halstead Street, and one officer threatened that they would be locked up. But overall, the demonstration was peaceful and no arrests were made. The night began with a memorial for T.T. Safori, 
a 28-year-old transgender woman whose body was found lying by train tracks on the west side last month. She'd suffered multiple stab wounds with a knife. She'd suffered multiple stab wounds, and a knife was discovered nearby. Uh, according, <sighs> according to authorities, no arrests have been made. And that was part of the video that was playing on the website, but I'm just going to continue uh, with reading the uh, reading the article. <sighs> this night will honor her life as well as the lives of other black trans people lost to intra-community and state violence, the TGNC Collective, the group organizing the vigil, posted online. Mourners gathered at the Broadway Youth Center around 6 p.m. reading poetry and dancing in celebration of Sephori's life. They then formed a procession, walking on the sidewalk across the Lakeview neighborhood with several police officers and cars following. The protesters appeared to surprise police by forming a chain in the middle of the street at Belmont and Halstead. Over the honking of dozens of cars that were blocked, the protesters chanted, we have nothing to lose but our chains. After about 10 minutes, the vigil returned to the sidewalk and people dispersed peacefully. The decision to stop traffic was to bring awareness of our survival and our need for survival in Chicago, said organizer Lasaya Wade. We stopped business as usual because our lives were stopped. <sighs> so, uh, again, uh, feeling the need to give a moment of silence on the radio, which I know is kind of weird, but just a few moments um, for all the folks. And it's this is an epidemic, and it just keeps on happening. And again, I don't really have much commentary to, to add to it, but at least wanted to read her name. And um, just recognize that this is still happening. And uh, every, every week when I do the show, I go through ahead of time and think about what I want to talk about, which stories to talk about, which things connect, which ones don't. And there's always stories like this. There's always, always, always stories like this. I'm always getting information about people who have been murdered uh, within the trans community, uh, many trans women. And it, uh, even saying those words, it just feels, uh, it's heartbreaking and it needs to stop and transphobia needs to stop. And I think about people who listen to this show and I'd imagine most folks who are listening to the show are, you know, people who are going out of their way to educate themselves and to be aware and not to reinstitute any transphobia in their lives. And I also would recognize that it's important for folks, those folks who are not encountering it on a daily basis to have conversations with people who might not be uh, so aware. So when you hear it in conversation or you have a relative or a friend or you're at work or at school and someone's making a transphobic remark, uh, have those conversations, educate people. Um, some people will say, oh, I've, I've never met a trans person before. You're the first. And that's not true. We're everywhere. There's a lot of us. There really are. Um, so I think it's just really important to, visibility is really important. And, uh, goodness gracious. Um, there's another article that I am going to, um, read and this is another another trigger warning here, and I would love to have. The, and I know there are. I d it feels weird because I want to talk about you know I, I recognize the importance of talking about 
folks, trans folks who are achieving great things, and, and there's that, and then also wanting to pay tribute to folks who are not here to achieve great things, and I don't want to be seen as someone who is, um, how does one reconcile with what's happening and pay attention to it and not wallow in it? Um, how does one, you know, begin to, and one almost, we, we can't really even accept that it's a, a f acceptance doesn't seem to, that's not the right word. Uh, it's a reality though. How does one pay tribute to those who are gone and also just let folks know that this is an epidemic, this is happening, like homicides and suicides are huge in the, in, and it's, and there's a sense of really wanting to hold each other. Um, and then there's the youth, there's the elders, and there are those fucking jets again. <laughs> this is, uh, it's, it's very symbolic. Um, it's, it's constant and, uh, it's constant and everything is connected. Everything is connected. So this article is on Fusion. I'm from Fusion. Uh, October 6th, mother of trans boy who killed himself sues hospital for allegedly, mis allegedly, maybe I should check their, <laughs> their resources by here, but okay, misgendering him repeatedly. Uh, Kyler Prescott was just 14 years old when he killed himself in May of 2015. Uh, and this is written by Rafi Schwartz. Uh, now Kyler's mother is suing the hospital where her transgender son was admitted for suicidal thoughts just weeks before taking his own life, claiming that which she alleges was the facility's persistent misgendering of Kyler as a girl continued to traumatize him and contributed to a suicide. In a lawsuit filed against this week, Catherine Prescott said that even though Kyler would, had legally changed his gender status to male after having come out as trans at age 13, the staff at Reedy Children's Hospital in San Diego repeatedly referred to her son as a girl, despite her attempts to correct them. According to a press release announcing the suit, Kyler has been admitted, had been admitted to RCHSD for suicidal thoughts and serious self-inflicted injuries that followed a transphobic incident involving his peers. In that moment, he was in crisis, Catherine told the Washington Post, explaining that Kyler was at RCHSD under 72-hour suicide watch. But she explained, when hospital staff continued to refer to Kyler as a girl, he went into a spiral. Prescott's lawsuit alleges that one employee told Kyler, honey, I would call you he, but you're such a pretty girl. After just 24 hours, Kyler was discharged from the hospital. A few weeks later, he took his own life. When my son was in despair, I entrusted Rady Children's Hospital with his safety and well-being, Prescott said in a statement. Hospitals are supposed to be a safe spaces, are supposed to be safe places that help people when they're in need. Instead of recovering at the hospital, Kyler got worse because staff continued to traumatize him by repeatedly treating him as a girl and ignoring his serious health issues. It's painful to speak out, but I want to make sure no other parent or child ever has to go through this again. Transgender Law Center attorney Allison Pennington, who is representing uh, Prescott in the case, told NBC that this may be the first time... Oops. Um... A little bit of a glitch here. I'm going to head back to that article. Um, Transgender Law Center attorney Allison Pennington, who is representing Prescott uh, in the case, told NBC that this may be the first time anyone has sued over sex-based discrimination for a child under the terms of the Affordable Care Act, which uh, uh, my... I am... <laughs> Oops, hold on one moment here. Just getting back to this. Um, this may be the first time 
anyone has sued over sex-based discrimination for a child under the terms of the Affordable Care Act, which explicitly bans discrimination based on sex and gender identity. In a statement made to the Post, a hospital spokesperson stressed that RCHSD's top priority is providing the absolute highest level of care to our patients and families. While it is the policy of Rady Children's not to comment on pending legal matters, any allegations of wrongdoing, including discrimination, are investigated thoroughly and followed up on. Kyler's story first received widespread attention in the summer of 2015 when it was featured on an episode of the E of Ian Network's I Am Kate, in which Caitlyn Jenner met with Catherine to learn more about Kyler's death and life. In a blog post written after the episode aired, Jenner explained that, sadly, what Kyler experienced is a reality for that far too many in the transgender community. Uh, is the reality for far too many in the transgender community. And it's not because trans people are somehow inherently unstable. It's because we live in a world that makes it very, very difficult to be trans. Many people, especially kids, can't see how they can live as their authentic selves and keep their family, their jobs, and their homes. Catherine's lawsuit is seeking both damages for her and Kyler's experience at RCHSD, as well as injunctive relief so that in the future, RCHSD will provide appropriate non-discriminatory care to all of its patients, regardless of sex, gender identity, and or disability. Ugh. So, yeah, that's been written up a few times, and it's just one, that's one example of how things are oftentimes made worse. And it's, misgendering is a real big fucking problem. I'll just put it that way. And... Uh, you know, yeah, some progress has been made and there's also been backlash and there's also just instances like that that cause further harm. So sending a lot of love to all the all all my trans friends and family and folks out there, people I've never met, and uh especially the youth and especially the elders. Um, all of us and uh recognizing that to be yourself, to be authentic is not easy and society does not make it easy. And it, it's unfortunate that it takes situations like this in order for things to to change and for for the people to take action and also recognizing that I think a lot of folks don't realize just how problematic it is to to misgender people. It's really invalidating and it's like gaslighting and it causes a lot of distress. I know I've experienced it. It took me a long time to be able to talk about it, to be able to find a language for it, and even you know it was a decade ago. Uh, a decade ago, I wasn't able to come out yet because I didn't even know I could. I didn't even know it was a possibility to be who I am, to exist. It's that serious. So I'm um, grateful that a lot of there have been a lot of people speaking out and a lot of changes have been made, and there is a really long way to go. Speaking of which, I'd like to celebrate folks who are out and coming out because um, it is a difficult thing to do, especially if you're in the public eye. Well, I think it's no, I think it's it's difficult for everyone. So I'm just going to put that out there. And so here's a story. Uh, this comes from um, blackgirllonghair.com. Uh, a friend of mine shared this. Uh, Sade's child comes out as a transgender man. This was on October 5th, 2016. Singer Sade's child, um, uh, Makalia Isla Adu, officially came out as a transgender man yesterday. There have been speculation since the early spring that the 20-year-old was transitioning, but nothing was confirmed. Uh, Michaelia, who was who was openly lesbian before transitioning, shared the news on his Instagram account with lots of excitement. And there's a picture of him, and he is attractive. <laughs> um, today is my first day of the rest of my life, and this was on 410, and it's first shot of tea, and that's awesome, and congratulations to him, absolutely. Uh, there's no word on what the name will be now that he identifies as male, and he is uh, Shade's only child. Shade took a 10-year break from music following the release of her new album, Lovers Rock, to raise him, 
with Jamaican producer Bob Morgan, the baby's father, and her then partner. And there's just some photos. So, um, not everyone changes their name, recognizing that. Um, so, for this beautiful person, um, uh, congratulations on coming out and for being able to share that with the world. That takes a lot of bravery. And um, uh, I think, yeah, being in the public eye maybe adds can add some extra pressure. So, and also just extra. <coughs> Um, just getting the word out there adds uh, extra visibility. So I'm going to end the show on that today. So extra visibility and the fact that we are everywhere and um, we're not going away. So, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. It's been it's been a heavy episode, maybe heavier than others. I know sometimes when I have guests on the show, it feels like there's more. Uh, it's more uplifting. So we're working on that for next week to get some good folks in here um, to that's the conversation a bit. I really appreciate that. If you ever have anything you'd like to share with us, be on the show, anything at all, feel free to contact me. You can call the station, 415-550-0511. You can contact me online. Find me in person if you know who I am. And I'm uh, always happy to hear from people. Um, and that goes for everybody. So with that being said, I uh, hope everyone has a really awesome week. Do what you can to have those difficult conversations if you're able. Do what you can to make the world a better place. Uh, there's a lot of improvements to be made everywhere. And do what you can to take care of yourself, too. Any of those things will all make the world better. So I haven't really chosen yet a song to to end on. Played some good ones today. Uh, I'll see what we have here in the good old-fashioned... <laughs> it's not old-fashioned iTunes, but we'll see what, what we have. And, um, yeah, um, to keep on listening to Mutiny Radio, as I mentioned, coming up next is... Uh, women's magazine with global val so stay tuned for that after that um there is uh come a thread collective i'm gonna chill out for a bit everyone have a really awesome evening and i'll be back next week i woke up and the world outside was dark all so quiet before the dawn Opened up the door and walked outside The ground was cold I walked until I couldn't walk anymore To a place I'd never been There was something stirring in the air In front of me see more than this more than this so much more than this there is something else there and all that you had has all gone a more than this I stand for 
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, 